Yeah, I think this is uh-huh. this is great stuff. Let's do it. Whatever makes you happy inside. That makes me happy inside. As a developer, you love building things that are fun and that matter. Do you want to add authentication to yet another app? Do you want to stay updated with all the security issues and patch them? Why not leave that to the experts? Auth0 is the easiest and fastest way to implement real-world authentication and authorization architectures into your apps and APIs. You can allow your users to log in with either regular username and password, social identity providers like Facebook and Twitter, or enterprise identity providers like Active Directory, Office 365, or without passwords, with an email login like Slack, or phone login like WhatsApp. Getting started is very easy. Add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 Plus or Ionic app in less than 10 minutes by writing only a few lines of code. No credit card required. Get the free plan or try the enterprise plan for 21 days at auth0.io slash adventures in Angular. That's auth0 with the number zero. Auth0 is trusted by developers at Atlassian, Mozilla, Bluetooth, Optimizely, Financial Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Try it out at auth0.io slash adventures in Angular. That's the number zero in Auth0 and get back time building core features. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. John Papa. Hi, everybody. Ward Bell. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about deploying Angular. And to just give us a little bit of context, I think the last time we talked about this, Joe used the word dumpster fire a whole lot, and I don't think we really came to a conclusion. But uh, I used the word dumpster fire. That that seems strange. Yeah, that that sounds so unlike you. Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, we thought we'd revisit that. Um, John has some thoughts on that. So let's go ahead and jump in and uh, see where we get. I'm curious just to start out. I mean, we talked a little bit about why it's hard, but have you made any headway, Joe? Is it easier now? I would say no. But I actually, you know, in that particular project where I've got, I've been doing deployments, I haven't really like focused on fixing it. It was interesting from after that last episode, I had several people reach out to me and say, hey, there are ways that you can tackle this problem, right? You can do this and you can do this and you can do this to make all these things that you're talking about. And they they mentioned several, uh, you know, one or two specific things that were very much like, yeah, if I did that, that would actually address a lot of my problem. Um, I don't think that that necessarily obviates at all anything that I was saying, which is, it comes back to the point of, well, with enough effort and work, yeah, you can solve any problem. But the question is, why do we have to do go through so much effort? Why does it require so much effort to make it a more reasonable proposition? And it also comes back to the the one fact you cannot get away from, which is when you're using the CLI and it's serving up your files, it's going to be different when you're in production because you are going to be serving up your files from a different web server. So you can't fix that. Sorry, can you can you repeat that clearly? The what can't you fix exactly? If I'm using the CLI and using its you know ng serve, that is not what I'm going to do in production. Okay, so you're talking specifically about the development server. Yep, the develop, specifically just the development server, nothing else, of course. It's just using the development server. So you have to make a choice. Do you not want to use the development server and be closer to your production environment? Which, you know, may not even be feasible based on how you're deploying, right? If you're deploying to Azure or something, then what are you going to do that's even 
I mean, I'm deploying to Heroku and I've got an Express website. So if I actually had the Express website running and serving up my files, it, it does run and it handles the API requests, you know, when I store data, but it doesn't serve up the files. So that one piece is different. And that's a piece that I could break and not know until I deploy to production. I mean, I, I would say it's almost gotten worse. Like in this project, we're talking about ngdoc.io, right? My mm -hmm. uh, attempt to help out uh, the document. I, I wanted to help out Ward. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Ward was doing a crummy job. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he actually published some of the stuff I wrote. So I thought that was a terrible idea of his. He must have been doing a crummy job if he did that. And Bar was a too low. So anyway... Um, sorry, Ward. Didn't couldn't, couldn't help but. Oh, I know it. you can't it's resist. I'm just a punching bag for you, Joe. <laughs> By the way, Star Wars rules. <laughs> oh no, that's it. I'm out of here. So, so Joe, I mean, you you kind of bring oh, up on, a, a point here. Oh. Yeah, hold on. I just wanted to point out that even since then, I've almost gotten more nervous about my production deployments where I'm pretty seriously considering putting up a staging environment just because I'm even more nervous now about breaking my build than before. So. Sorry, keep on with what you're saying. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, most of the Angular stuff that I've done, I've done with Rails, and so I just I just have, you know, the, the Rails app, you know, it, it puts the files in the public folder and gets all deployed and, you know, builds and does all the stuff right, and it just kind of works. So, so would you say that your experience has been markedly different from mine, that you don't feel, you go through it and you're like, Oh, this is cool. This is slick. This is easy. No problems. I never get nervous when I make a production deployment that something's broke. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, you also have to realize that I am using the Webpacker gem, which is a Ruby gem that wraps Webpack and auto builds your packages for you. So it it builds it, it puts it into the the pipeline in the right place, and serves the pile the the file up properly. So. You know, it, it kind of hides and fixes a lot of those things. Um, but, yeah, I, a lot of that is, is solved, at least for me, because, A, the build process is sort of built in, and mm -hmm. the other part of it is that um, it, uh, it just serves the file up from my app. And so I'm wondering, why, why would you not just have ngdoc.io, your Express app, or you know, your Nginx setup or something somewhere, serve up your static file? Uh, I mean, I, I totally could, but like the natural path is just to tell NGCLI to just go, oh, right. you know, yeah. tell the CLI to, that's just a very natural, <laughs> low resistance path. I suppose if I wanted to, if I sat down and spent a few minutes with it, which would probably turn into three hours, but I'd probably be like, okay, I'll just, I've got it set up now. I'm comfortable just using the server and I won't use the CLI anymore. But um, I don't know. Is if that, that really where we are? Is that that you would you would have to eject or something from the CLI? I don't, CLI? Think, I, I don't think I would eject. No. I don't think I would well, eject. What this really comes down to, and I think Joe's hidden on this, is in some ways, and I don't mean it sounds like I'm going to pick on you, Joe, but it's not really intended this way. Is the CLI is doing so much for us now that it runs a dev server. A lot of people's expectations are like, "Wow, I've been building this app for months." Why can't I just take exactly what I'm doing on my local machine and put it on a web server? Right. It's almost like the CLI has taken away the knowledge of us. Like, how do we deploy web apps before? <laughs> you know, right. what's a web server? Why do we need a web server? What's that thing? Um, and really, the CLI, what it did is it gave us a way to have that rapid dev debug cycle 
but we still have to think about how are we going to serve the actual application itself, either static files or having a, um, a fallback route, you know, for deep linking and things. Uh, so actually having a web server, whether that's with Java or IIS or Node or Nginx, that piece in some ways I think has become um, disconnected from Angular, React, Vue, all their experiences mm -hmm. in that the CLIs make it so easy to write the code, but they don't necessarily give you a web server. They don't have an opinion on it. They don't care what you use. Well, and, and they, I don't, do you think that they should? I mean, nope. there's a deployment, there's an Angular deployment chapter in the guide that uh, today that tells you what to do, how to build for pride, and you end up with some files, and how you have to adjust your server uh, to deal with deep linking. And it's not, that, it doesn't look that complicated, um, but it leaves open uh, exactly what backend server you're going to use. But if you're a front-end developer, which a lot of people have become today, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think they necessarily always know. And I'm just, I don't have this experience because I do all the stuff in the backend too. But I don't know. I'm guessing that maybe having to then go configure a web server when you've not been doing that, you've been writing pure Angular code, maybe that's... A leap? I don't know. So it's not just that. I mean, you, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head, although your last statement, uh, I, potentially for me at least, varies off a little bit. And here's the point. I'm a very senior engineer. I've been programming over tw 20 years. I've done tons of deployments of all different kinds of servers, very comfortable with that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that when I go out and I start up a project and I, you know, I'm doing Angular, that I just want to code. Right. And so as the CLI makes it for me that I could just code, then when I go to deploy, I haven't fought any of those battles yet. Now I got to go fight those deployment battles. And I'll admittedly, as a, I, I'm not don't feel like I'm a DevOps guy, I feel like I'm a coder guy. So when it comes to the DevOps, I want to do as little as possible. So as soon as I go to deploy to Heroku, uh, I fight a bunch of battles and I get it all figured out. And I get it deployed and then I deploy again a few weeks later or something, and I go through that same process of is my is my deployment process really secure? But because the CLI has let me avoid a lot of those fights until the very end, and it's made it easy on me, I've used it as a crutch. And it's not because I'm not capable of doing it otherwise. It's just that it saves me so much time to just let the CLI be my crutch that now it's this crutch for me. And, and it's, it's, it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing or it's a good thing. I'm just saying that... Uh, it, it has these costs. That you, it's, it, you can't avoid the deployment cost. You just pay it at a different time and place. So, so what if you, when you checked into or you, um, you merged a master, your CI process kicked off a least stage to deployment? Or even, gosh, if you're doing continuous dis, um, deployment, it actually mm -hmm. deployed for you. Right. With but that, now you have to have that, a CI server. Now you've got to have other things, too. I know I'm getting there because I think I'm leading to where you are, John. But I'm wondering if that if that's the way it worked, Joe, would that feel good? You know, I think so. And let me dovetail into that into something that John, one of John's uh, teammates did. Simona Coton. Did I pronounce her name right? Her last name yep. right? Yep. Okay. She wrote, put this awesome little video together about using Circle CI, which I'd heard of but never even tried. And she just asked me to take a look at it. So I started playing with Circle CI and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so super cool. Right. So as we have more and more tools, but for me, Circle CI was actually like reducing or eliminating a problem. Whereas 
I, in the in the case of just the deployment pro- part, I don't think the CLI, the Angular CLI, actually reduces any of the cost. It simply changes when you pay it. Instead of paying it up front to get their app up and running, and you know you won't get that JS fatigue so much because you can actually spin up a quick little app in a a, a minute or so, but you still have to pay that cost later on. Whereas something like Circle CI actually reduces some of the cost because it's handling some things for you that uh, you would do. And a great article, by the way, if you haven't ever played around with Circle CI, uh, you can find it just by googling her name. Well, we'll put uh, it in the show notes. For yeah, sure. we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. But it was a great mm-hmm. article about. So, like that is, is actually reducing a problem, for me at least. So I have the sense, John, from our conversations, that you and your team have been working on this this challenge that, that Joe is setting out there. Is, have I do I misunderstand it, or is have you guys actually been doing something? Uh, in multiple angles, yeah. So as a developer advocate for Azure, I have one angle on it. As an Angular developer and someone who loves JavaScript and the web, I have another angle. And then in my experience of deploying really large-scale web apps for large companies, I have another perspective. But I think I think Joe's right. Like you're you're going to pay the piper somewhere or the other with deciding how you're going to build a web server eventually. Uh, and by the CLI doing so much for us, it's, it really is deferring that cost, right? Uh, let's let's kind of go through different levels of what that cost could be. You've got web files, HTML, JavaScript, CSS. You've got some assets. In the perfect world, in the slimmest of worlds, you've got to a way to you have to create a way to serve that. Now that could be a CDN. It could be S3 storage on Amazon. It could be Blob storage on Azure. Same kind of thing. Uh, it could be just a any website or server that you already have at your company that serves HTML. Uh, any of those places can serve static files. But the first thing you're probably going to hit when you do one of those is with Angular, React, Vue, any of these spot frameworks, there's a concept of deep links. Once you add routing to an application, going to myapp.com slash customer slash 14, that's not a server-side route. So if that's the first thing they hit, it's going to go to the web server first on the server because the browser hasn't loaded Angular yet, right? And the server is going to look at that route go, I don't know what the heck that is. And by default, it's going to do a 404 and return back nothing. So you need something on the web server that says, hey, I need to instead, for unknown routes, return index HTML so I can load the Angular app and then let Angular's router figure out if it's a valid route or not. Mm-hmm. And at a minimum, you need a web server to do that. And the, honestly, the trimmest way to do that, in my experience, has been Nginx. Nginx is effectively the simplest of setups. It's a super fast web server, and you can run that anywhere. Uh, or you can run it with IIS, Java, et cetera, which, as Ward mentions, in the Angular IO docs, they explain how to configure the server to do that fallback. Uh, Node does it, too. But that, to me, that's the minimum starting bar, right? You've got to have something to serve the darn files first, whether you already have an existing server or you create a new one. And then you can hit an API if you want to. As Joe mentioned, he has an express server, I think you said, with Heroku. Um, so you get an API, you can hit serverless functions, whatever you want there. But you at least need that web server as a starting point. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's what the CLI is doing for you, is it's being that piece of it. Yeah, I almost wonder, this is just right off the top of my head, I almost wonder if it would be cool 
because I've been doing a lot with Docker lately, because maybe Docker is just a means to the end. If the CLI had a deploy me option, and by default, what it did is it said, I'm going to deploy the app you just built in the build folder, the distribution folder, and I'm going to give you the, the trimmest possible server that you can have to run this, which is probably Nginx. And I'll just give you a default Nginx configuration that'll just work. From here, you do whatever you want to do, but at least then you could deploy that thing where you wanted to. Right. Can't we do that with this? Could we make a, what do they call that, a schematic that does this? I'm not sure if the schematics would help me do a deploy side, but it'll definitely help me do a, uh, like a file structure side, though. I thought schematics could also had code in them, but it's, you know, it's an interesting question. Because, mm. uh, but suppose that we didn't have, suppose you couldn't do that. What would, um, and the CLI chose not to do that. Couldn't somebody do something where uh, an NPM install something or other? They added a, um, a command that you could do that with? Yeah, you wouldn't even need that. So, like, the, the trimmest thing would be, and honestly, this is where Docker comes in. So I'm not a huge, I'm not, like, Dockerize everything. But where Docker really helps is you can add a Docker file to, pro to your project that creates, basically wraps up the, uh, the ng build process. So inside of the Docker script, it's called a Docker file, you could write, okay, install the Angular CLI. It's like a recipe. When you run this, what do I do? Install the Angular CLI, go to GitHub and get my source code for this app. Um, next step would be like ng build it with prod flag and then get the files out of that dist folder and deploy it to whatever your folder you want to stick it in you know, like for, to serve and then create an nginx instance instance that would actually serve that and that's it like you know five or six commands stick it in this docker file it's literally five or six lines long and at that point you could just run a single command so inside the manager, inside your editor, you just run uh, Docker compose is the command I would run. It basically builds that whole thing, runs it, and then you've got a running instance in whatever version of Node, Nginx, Java, .NET you want. Uh, and then you can stick it on any server. Uh, and to me, that's, that's super simple because if all you have to do to get there is I could give Joe, if you're the guy I'm looking at, I could give you a Docker file that's got these couple lines of code. I just tell you run this one command. And then you could stick it on any server you want in any cloud you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a solution where, you know, Docker and that sort of thing is one of those solutions where that actually can start making sense in today's world, right? Yeah. Normally, you would say anytime that you get, make any kind of a decision about server, you're going to be wrong for 80 plus percent of the people because this yep. guy's Rails, that guy's .NET, this guy's Java, this guy's Node, right? But we're now moving towards a different uh place where at least for um people that are doing on the smaller projects and the, on the bigger projects probably doesn't ma matter so much because the time you spend on the devops side becomes such an infinitesimal time of the whole size of the project but for me you know if i look at something like ng doc if i if it takes me between 10 and 30 hours to address all of my deployment issues and just smooth them all out well, that's a lot of features that I'm missing out on I could have built. And it's a significant percentage of the time that I might spend on it in a month. You know? Well, I think we yeah. have a to-do item here, John. Uh, if you really think it's that simple, it's a short, short little Docker file, uh, we should be able to link to that in our show notes when we're done here because we'll have done it by then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've actually nice. already done this, and I've got a video that shows how to do it. So, Well, then that's we've got to link to that. We've got a link nice. to that. 
Yeah, and you know some, what? Some... I, I want to link to that. I want to go back into our official Angular docs and link to that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that can happen there, right? Like the Docker file, as Joe said, it's important that it's flexible enough so you can run Nginx, Node, Java, IIS, whatever you want to run, right? Ruby, I, I don't care, PHP, um, Go, <laughs> whatever your technology choice is. But the cool thing to me is, like me, I don't want to leave my editor. I don't want to. It scares me. Maybe not scares, but it bothers me when I have to leave my editor, go to GitHub to set up Git hooks, then go to my CI server and set up a process, and then go to my Amazon, Azure, Google portal, figure out where I'm going to deploy at Heroku, and then come back to my editor and run command line stuff. Um, this is where I think it's really cool is a lot of the editors these days, WebStorm, VS Code, et cetera, uh, they have plugins now where you can literally stay in your editor, right-click a file and say, build my Docker image, and then right-click again and say, okay, it runs. Now deploy it to Azure. Deploy it to wherever. Right. That's super cool. And I never had a see that. I got to see that. I want to see that. So that's really, I mean, uh, that's worth the price of admission for this for this one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for but that doesn't solve a problem too, right? Word like that solves a problem with you deploying it. But what happens when Word isn't there and somebody at your company needs to deploy it? Okay, uh, right. Because um, to be honest, the reason I don't know any of this stuff is because there's somebody at my company that has to do all this <laughs> stuff. That's why I don't know any of it. Uh, I've never well, had to deploy that person's own. out. So imagine, imagine Marcel. <laughs> Marcel's yeah. the guy at your company who does this, um, and he's out to lunch. And you need to deploy it. Wouldn't you like to know how to do that? Well, I would certainly like to know how to do it. Yes, I absolutely would like to know how to do it. How do I do it, John? Let me ask you, instead of telling you how to do it, what would be easiest for you? Call John Papa. <laughs> Bing. John! We John! just solved it. <laughs> um, well, let, let me ask this in a different way. Like, what do you... When you're done with your code, what's really the last step when you're done writing great code? This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Check it in. Yeah, you check it in to GitHub, right? I still use the word check-in, even though I know it's supposed to be commit. Yeah, I know. Well, it's actually push, right? <laughs> That's the <cool>, push. <laughs> but yeah. So you, but, you push it to source control. Wouldn't it be great if you could push it to source control, something would pick it up, build your Docker file, and shove it into the cloud? Yes. Do you have one of those things for me, John? Yes. And that's what um, Simona did with CircleCI. She did that to point to a cloud. Uh, basically, it looks at GitHub when GitHub gets the, the push. It looks at that, and then it deploys it to a cloud, the Azure, Amazon, Google, whatever. Uh, I wrote one that does it through VSTS. That's Microsoft's CI program. Uh, I've also used Jenkins that does this. So you could use any – there's tools out there 
Codeship, Travis, Jenkins, Circle CI. Um, Chuck, what do you use for CI? Uh, I've been using GitLab. GitLab. Um, there's lots of tools, and effectively all it is is a, tra a traffic cop, right? It looks at Git and says, when I see changes, grab those, and then you tell it what to do. And that the what to do, honestly, would just be look at the Docker file that Ward just checked in. Oh, I see it. I'll build that. And then where do you want me to put it? Oh, you want me to put it in Azure? Boom. So all you do, Ward, is you push your changes from your local editor, and you mm -hmm. wait two or three minutes, and it's up in the cloud. Okay. John, with this with this kind of idea you're talking about, can you tell us how many places could you push this to? I mean, I know that you work for Azure, but mm -hmm. besides Azure, is, would this really work for more options than just Azure? It could work for any modern cloud. So I've done it with Amazon, Google, uh, Heroku, Azure, and whatever now is using NOW. Right. But yeah. there's other cloud providers too, so you can use it with any of them. The other Anybody thing is, is that Docker container. you you can run Docker containers on most modern Linux distributions. So yep. even if you want to, if you know, so you're saying, well, I don't want to use Azure, AWS, or something for whatever reason. I mean, you can install the packages and then just take the Docker container, drop it up there, and spin it up, and it it's a it's a relatively simple process as well. You could even run on an on-premise server, right? Let's say you've got yeah. your own server, but you want to automate this. You could still have whatever, let's say Circle CI, since you brought that one up, uh, Joe. You could have Circle CI say, grab my changes at a GitHub that Ward made, mm -hmm. uh, build a Docker file, uh, your Docker image, and then deploy that to where? Maybe Chuck's got a server under his desk. <laughs> you know, as long as that Circle CI system can actually access that public through public IP, it can deploy it. You know. Yep. Right. I, I get the sense also that I don't actually have to have installed Docker on my own machine. I just need the Docker file because it's the receiver of this. It's 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 the cloud that's going to pull the Docker file out and do all the work, right? Yeah. So technically, let's say we're all on the same team. That's a great point. Uh, let's say all four of us are building the same thing, and I'm the Docker guy, and you're not, and you just don't care about it. Right. Um, so that's probably likely. Not everybody in every team knows everything. Uh, I could build the Docker file, test it out, and you could just say, you know what, I could care less about Docker. And then when you push your changes in, you don't have to run anything on your machine for Docker if you don't want to. You just run Angular the way you normally do and through the CLI, through Node, whatever. And then when uh, you check your changes in, the CI server is the one that's doing all that work. So what's, you know what? I, what's really one of the cool? That, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead, Chuck. I was just going to say the thing that's really cool about it is that if you're deploying Docker and your CI is building Docker, it's essentially testing an identical production environment. And so it, you know, you get all of that nicety out of it. And uh, yeah, it, it does all the setup and make sure that the deploy will work essentially because it's building what's going to be deployed. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to say, Chuck. So I'm glad you said it and it, get, and it gets feeds back to where Joe was at the beginning, which is the C, you know, the original claim that, that Joe was making, which is very compelling is that, the CLI makes it possible for me to go a long, long time before I realize that I'm not able to actually deploy this thing. And it doesn't give me that reinforcement that my deployments are going to be successful. Uh, I can just live under a rock. And this sounds to me um, like a, a way to cope with that. And Joe, what's stopping you from doing this for your project? Time. 
Well, I mean, certainly my concern about, hey, any minute I spend doing fixing these issues is a minute that I'm not building a feature. Right. I, it's, this is always one of those things, especially, you know, on small teams and stuff. It's like, ah, who wants to work on the DevOps side? Yeah, you know, it's it's not, it, it sounds easy. I mean, the way, uh, you know, John is describing it. Yeah, it, it I mean, what, like you guys are, what you guys are talking about actually sounds easy. So if you're talking about if your question really was what stops you from doing what John's saying, I don't think that they're, I guess, knowledge, right? Comfortability would be the one thing. Yeah, you got to be comfortable with it, right? Yeah. Honestly, it's not, I'll tell you where it is today, in my opinion. You still need to have a CI server somewhere. You don't need it, but let's say you wanted one, right? You still need to pick one, uh, which which is something you have to do, whether you're comfortable with it or not. If you've never done it before, you'd have to go look into Circle CI, VSTS, Jenkins, whatever, uh, figure out how to hook it into GitHub and do this. Uh, the second thing is you have to pick a cloud, which means you're going to have to go to a cloud and sign up and like, create a web server, right? A uh, place to put it. Beyond that, all the rest of it's automated. Now, if you don't want CI, if you just want to do like what Ward wants to do, where he just wants to say, I want to press a button locally and deploy it. Uh, no CI, because small shops can do that too. You can just use the extensions inside of things like VS Code and say, right click my Docker file and build it, which would mean you need Docker locally in that case, because something has to build it. And then uh, right-click again and say, send it to my web server. So that's the easier version. No CI, just send it right from my local machine up to a server. Uh, and the harder version, which isn't much harder, but you need a CI server in the middle if you want it to like automate it and do unit testing and end-to-end -end testing and stuff like that. All right. I feel like I'm I'm going, you know, being the pure front-end developer these days, or at least not responsible for deployment. Now you guys are coaxing me into thinking that I wouldn't, you know, maybe I have to invest a day of my life learning how to do this. Um, but uh, that might be a day worth investing. Am I looking at longer than a day to do what you're talking about, John? Yeah, I've, I've got a video that takes 20 minutes to go through. You can watch to do it. Uh, I, I well, think, let's link it. <laughs> and I think that's really the the hang up that a lot of people get into with this, right, is, you're talking about Docker and Azure and, you know, using technologies that I haven't used or I don't use every day. And so if I'm not super familiar with Docker, it just sounds daunting. And so, yeah, if you have some kind of walkthrough like you're talking about, John, I mean, that that's the that's the deal right there, because, OK, now we're talking about a half hour and I don't have to have a deep understanding of Docker. I just have to have a half hour and a little bit of uh, get up and go to go learn the parts of this that I feel like I need to once I have it working. Yeah. My approach for learning, Chuck, I agree. It's, it's like, if it's not going to take, I have attention deficit disorder, I'm sure <laughs> if it's going to take more than five minutes. I'm not touching it. I just, but like if I can spend, you know, in the first five minutes of watching a video, or reading an article, I can see that I'm going to learn something. I'm going to continue. But five minutes in, I still don't know what the heck I'm learning. Uh, I lose interest and I just like, you know what, I'll deal with it some other day. So the approach I've taken in some of these videos and articles is let me show you how it works and how you can be successful. And I don't explain every detail. Like if you want to know how Docker works, that's not what I'm explaining. I, honestly, I could care less about every facet of Docker personally. I just care that what runs on my machine on my Mac runs on Ward Bell's Windows 7 machine runs on Joe's Ubuntu machine and runs on my Linux in the cloud. 
and I don't have to worry about Joe as node six, nine and Ward as node eight, four and Chuck isn't even using node. <laughs> so it, it's one of those things for me. It's like, you know, Docker solves that problem. When I used to work at um, large companies, I literally would be called at least once a week, usually three or four times a week by some team who deployed an app and said, John, this app used to work. It's no longer working. What happens? You know what the answer usually was nine out of 10 times? They deployed it with a different version of Node than they did the last time. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. So really? they were running it with Node 4, and now it's running on Node 6.4 instead of 4.10, and something changed, and it broke everything. And they didn't change anything, but maybe the CI server people did, thinking it's not going to break. This is where really? Docker saves your life. It's like, I don't yeah. have to trust that all of your, all 100 people in my project are using the same OS and the same version. And I assume that's also like with the build process that takes place during Docker, or or is it already pre-built and then it goes? Or it's specified in the Docker file, right? So that so what I'm seeing a lot, for example, is TypeScript version changes that kill people. I mean, there's lots of places these third-party tools yeah. that we use that get upgraded, and we weren't ready for it, but it all goes to custard um, in there. And you're saying, John, that it, with a half hour I can be cruising. Yes. Um, yes. And then basically what it would be nice is like, be nice if there was a set of Docker files, like in VS Code, which is cool. If you're using Node, you can, there's a Docker extension where you just press a button in VS Code and says, generate my Docker files. And by default, it says, oh, you're using Node? Here's a Docker file that'll work for Node. Now, today you have to customize that for Angular because it doesn't know that. But what I'm trying to work on with the team is, could we somehow, this isn't committed yet, but I'm trying to figure out what the VS Code team, could we somehow create an extension that says, you tell me the front end and the back end. You tell me you're using Vue with Node or Angular with Java, and I will generate the Docker file that will work for you. That would be great. Wouldn't yeah, it? that'd be slick. Yeah. I mean, you could customize it yourself, but having a starter file that just works would be freaking awesome, you know? Well, and there are repositories of Docker files out there that you can use as starters. Yep. But there, yeah, there just may not be a combination, you know, one that has a combination that you in particular want. Yeah, for example, like I built a Docker image to speed up my builds. I built a Docker image up in Docker Hub, which Docker Hub for the people who are new to it is basically NPM for Docker files. So NPM stores our packages for Node. Docker Hub stores um, public, package, public uh, images for Docker. So I put one up there that runs Node 8.9 and already has the Angular, latest Angular CLI version installed. Why? Because I'm always going to use those. So instead of having to install Node and then go install npm install Angular CLI-G for global, now I don't have to wait those two or three minutes on a build. That image already has what I need, and that's my starting point. And then I go get my source code from GitHub, and it just builds it up. Boy, I want that image. I want that image ready to go. So Docker, Docker is a huge time saver for this. And people have asked me when I've done this talk, do I have to do Docker from the beginning? Absolutely not. Like I actually worked on a project this summer. It took me about a month and a half to write the app. And at the very end, that's when I said, you know what? I want to make sure this works everywhere. And that's my machine. I'm going to add the Docker files now. And, you know, an hour later, I had something ready to go and it worked. So there's a lot of good options. We'll, we'll put some links in there, and maybe if people are interested, we can talk more about uh, Docker in the future. So if you're not using 
VS Code. How much of this do you have to do yourself? Because I've seen the VS Code tools and they're pretty nice. But, you know, some of us have decided that, uh, you know, we, we have a significant investment in Emacs. Emacs is awesome. I like doing stuff in Emacs. It probably has some Docker functionality and a plugin. But, sure. you know, let's say that I'm just doing it completely from scratch. Then what? Well, the two things you really need are, besides Docker, <laughs> right? You, should, you need a file. You need a Docker file. So you can either go find one. Like you said, there's these um, places on the web you can go find one you like. Uh, maybe there's an extension for your favorite editor that generates them, like VS Code does. If not, go find one that you like on the web. Uh, and the second thing you need is you need to build the Docker image if you're going to do it locally. So in that case, there's a single command you run called Docker Compose Up. So it's docker-compose space up. It looks at your Docker file and the Docker Compose file and it says, how do you want me to build it? Again, it's just a recipe and it builds the image. So you can do it manually from the command line. The tool that's in VS Code just makes it so you don't have to touch a terminal. You know, I'm a, I'm a total Docker doofus, but I, I, will, <laughs> I will report that it took me no time at all to Except install Docker and, um, and write, the one, <laughs> write the command you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, you know, just like doofus here says, it's really as easy as you said. I like that. I, I think you should coin that phrase, Docker Doofus. <laughs> Maybe you should register that domain name. Thanks, Joe. I'm glad I can contribute. <laughs> well, I, you know, this, for me, for my money, this show, I'm, I'm ready to put a bow on today's show because you got my head exploding about it. I want to run off and go do this. Um, uh, thanks, John, for those clues. We really Let's, need links. For all this stuff, we need we need to yeah. make sure these show notes yeah. have really we'll some make... links to point people over in the right place because this is pretty cool stuff. Absolutely, and I, I want to yeah, I'm 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 going game for this. So, what do you say we do picks and and then go run off and do our stuff? Chuck, what do you think? Good. Sounds good. Well, let's do it. All right, Joe, do you have some picks ready for us? Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. Absolutely. Um, I do want to start off by uh, saying that... Uh, at least uh, given an update on ng-conf, ng-conf's tickets are now on sale. They are available. In years past, we, you know, we were at the smaller venue. We were selling out instantly. That's no longer true. So you can go pick up your tickets. I'm sure they'll be on sale for at least another month, maybe even two. Um, so tickets for ng-conf are on sale. The CFP is open for ng-conf. So if you are interested in speaking, you should submit to our call for papers as well, ng-conf.org. So be sure and check that out. We've got some pretty awesome stuff in the works there. Um, so I got two uh, picks that I want to uh, mention, though, besides ng-conf. A new board game that I played. Uh, I've been playing a lot of board games lately, new ones lately. It's called Knitlet, and it's basically Scattergories, but uh, or it's very similar to Scattergories, but it plays a little bit different. You actually have these spools of thread that you lay out and 
And it's just a really fun, very family-friendly game. It's good for if you're a creative person. And it's called Knitwit with K-N-I-T-W-I-T, doing a play on the words Knitwit and to knit something because they have thread as a common uh, motif in the game. So it's a great game. Really enjoyed it. If you like family games and word games, this would be a huge – because what ends up happening is you come up with these like weird categories like it might be like blue, new, and historical. Then you got to come up – got to think of some concept that fits those three words. And you might allow silly things like, well, it has to be blue and new and historical, which is really hard to come up with. But maybe it's like, uh, you know um, – some figure from history who fell into the, you know, got, got fell into the inning pit or something like that. Anyway, uh, it's been, it was a really fun game, really fun to play with my kids and let the, see how, what creative ideas they come up with, especially jokes about their old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, and then the other talk pick I want to, uh, pick is from, this is going to sound weird. It's a talk given by Evan Chaplicki, who is the creator of the Elm uh, framework and programming language, uh, a talk that he gave at React Rally, which is a non-angular. So it's two non-angular things. He's talking, uh, talking at React Rally, and he's an Elm. He's the Elm creator. But it was a really awesome talk called Convergent Evolution, where he talks about how ideas that some that oftentimes show up at the same time, you know, become validation for things that are good ideas, like uh, one-way data flows. Uh, the virtual DOM showed up in uh, multiple places at sort of the same time in the framework world. He talks about these sorts of things and other things, and he does some pretty interesting comparisons on Elm and React. So if you're at all interested uh, in that sort of stuff, we're just seeing just a really great talk. I highly recommend that. So I'll put a link to the show notes for that as well. And that's it. Awesome. John, do you have some picks for us? Sure. Uh, I think first a... It's important to put a call out to, I want to make sure people don't think that after listening to this episode, you need Docker to deploy Angular. You absolutely don't. Uh, you could still take your files. You could still push them into a folder and do a git push up to a web server, like static content, if you wanted to. Uh, I just think that kind of a solution, eventually, you're going to want to have some kind of uh, more robust web server, more robust setup, et cetera. That's where Docker makes that life easier. But if you want to just copy your files up to a web server, that stuff does work as well. Uh, if you're, as long as you have something serving it. Right. You know, just to make sure people don't think they're walking away going, oh my gosh, you need Docker now. You don't. And this honestly applies to Vue, React, or Angular. Um, so one of my tips, though, is definitely try out one of the other technologies. I've been spending the last couple of weeks learning more about Vue and React with Angular. Uh, just to understand, like, the different perspectives. And I've walked away convinced that they're all awesome and that they all have different pros and cons and that if I chose any one of those randomly at a pick out of a hat to build an app, they would all be successful. So I'm not suggesting everybody should learn them all as an expert at them all because that would be difficult to do. But I do think that uh, it's really important for all of us to be tolerant and understanding that there are multiple choices out there. And it's not like when we're asking the question of which one is best, that's not the right question to ask. The better question to ask is, which one makes me feel most comfortable for my project that I should work with? Because they're all good. So my uh, tip is be nice. <laughs> great, great point, John. And uh, 
just to come back to my pick, not to bogart you in any way, but that uh, talk that Evan gave, he really talks a lot about that. And uh, he puts up some really great analogies and examples to asking that question about which one is best to sort of make you, you know, see how silly that question can be in most cases. So, uh, been on my mind as well. Yeah, I think it's important because I get asked that question more than any other ever, which is, John, you know, I get all that, but uh, man, is React better than Vue? Is Vue better than Angular? Which one should I be picking? Um, at your company, just look at your company. Look at what you know. Look what you're comfortable with. Uh, they all have great community support. They all have huge ecosystems. They're all highly successful. They all perform really well. Which one do you want to use? Just pick it and move along and Frankly, I think uh, we could do more with more of that in the industry and less of this uh, mine's better than yours. I agree. Ward, what are your picks? Well, mine is better than yours, but that's that's another topic. I'm going to uh, I'm going to pick, go off uh, the tech track and uh, talk about a novel that I couldn't put down. That was it's an old novel, actually, that um, my buddy Jesus Rodriguez uh, told me about called The Shadow of the Wind by Spanish author Carlos Zafon. And uh, it's been greatly reviewed. It's been around for about 10 years, but I just tripped over it. Um, really, like I said, I could not stop reading it. It's a um, it's a intricate story set in Barcelona uh, involving um, uh, a myth, you know, some crazy author who's um, works are being burned by somebody, um, so that nobody can read them. And, um, I know that sounds weird, but, uh, it's definitely worth a read and I will put the link in our show notes. Awesome. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, my wife and I finally finished the second season of stranger things. Um, of course I had to get her to watch it with me and then watch the first season again, but, uh, it was fun. Um, Definitely enjoyed that. And then my second pick I'm getting really excited for, and I'm going to have to wait for, unfortunately, um, they released the, the trailer for the new Avengers movie, um, Avengers Infinity War. And I've been wondering when they, because they keep bringing up the Infinity Stones, and so I was waiting for them to come out with a gauntlet of Infinity, and it looks like they, uh, you know, Thanos is going to be there with that. So going to be cool to see uh, how that all comes together. And it looks like they're bringing in uh, a lot of other superheroes from the Marvel franchises. So, you know, we're going to see cameo appearances from a lot of these other superheroes. So that'll be fun too. Um, but yeah, super excited about that. So I'll put a link to that trailer in the show notes. I don't think there's anything else. So we'll go ahead and wrap up and we will catch everybody next week. Thanks guys. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.